0: Hello everyone, and welcome to A Review. Today I'm talking about the 2015 miniseries, TUT. TUT is a three-episode miniseries chronicling the life and reign of King Tutankhamun. It was produced by Spike TV, and it features a large cast of famous characters. Tutankhamun is played by Avanjogia, and Ben Kingsley appears as the High Courtier Ai. We also have Sibylla Dean as Queen Ankhesenamun. Amun. Kylie Bunburi as Suhad, and Nonzo Anosi as the General Hor M. Heb. This is an interesting little series. It was clearly produced in the post-Game of Thrones boom for high-drama historical epics. The show follows an HBO-style template, with lots of politicking, violence, and sex. It's presented in a way that is supposed to remind you of more dramatic and high-budget shows. Unfortunately, the resources weren't quite there on this production, and it frequently comes across as a bit constrained, like you are watching a play with limited sets and locations. I don't think we can fault the creative team on that, but it's worth knowing, going in, that TUT is a small-scale production, by some comparisons. Frankly, they did a reasonably good job, all things considered. The story mainly focuses on Tutankhamun, of course. We meet him as a child and then jump forward to his inheritance as king. We see Tutankhamun going through various life crises. He is challenged by friends and enemies. He must battle with foreign powers. He must deal with the lack of a child or heir. And, as always, he must face the challenges of the heart as relationships conflict and collide within his court. I will talk about the story a little bit later. But first, let's focus on the characters. Tutankhamun himself is played by Avan Jogia, and he does a reasonably good job with the material available. In the context, I find Jogia's performance quite convincing, and we can give him credit for that. That being said, I do have concerns with how this character is written. The characterization of Tutankhamun is interesting. It presents the king as a semi-action hero type of figure. Not too extreme, but a lot more dynamic than you would expect from the boy king, quote-unquote. I think I see where they got this idea. In late 2013, a UK Channel 4 documentary promoted the idea that Tutankhamun may have died in a chariot accident. That idea had been kicking around for a while, but you can imagine how documentaries like this might have inspired a more actiony take on Tutankhamun. This is certainly more exciting than the inactive child-ruler image that had prevailed earlier. Scriptwriters probably wanted to do something a bit more dynamic. To be fair, images from Tutankhamun's tomb and other monuments do emphasize the sports, the hunting, and the warfare that he may have participated in. As I've discussed in episode 142, the king may have gone to battle, or at least been present on a campaign, once during his life so the show gives Tutankhamun an active, confident persona. We particularly see this in his beliefs. One of the big policies for the historical Tutankhamun's reign was the restoration of temples and divine images. Curiously, the show presents the opposite view. We see Tutankhamun being frequently in conflict with his high priest, and some of the dialogue suggests that he is more interested in gods like the Aten. I suspect that this subplot was supposed to be bigger in the script, but it got edited down for time, because the characters make reference to religious ideas and conflicts that have not been adequately established in the show. The casual viewer might be quite confused. Why is Tutankhamun not supportive of the gods? Again, I don't fault the characterization. we really don't know what Tutankhamun believed. It is entirely possible that, having grown up in royal environments, and shaped by his relationship to power, Tutankhamun may have believed utterly in the divinity of his person, as he grew into a teenager or an adult. Perhaps the king did have moments of fanaticism. I don't fault it, but it's definitely a curious choice. As for Ankhes and Amun, this one is interesting. They significantly beef up her role in terms of what we actually know about the queen, in this story, Ankasenamun becomes a cunning, politicking figure. She schemes against rivals and enthusiastically pursues her grip on power. Sibylla Dean plays the role quite confidently, and I have to give her props for that. That being said, some people may find this characterization controversial, or at least contradictory to the image we have of this queen. Personally, I’m okay with this characterization, and I’ll explain why. The images that we have for Anges and Amun, the surviving records, tend to be royal or formal imagery. So we see the queen acting in rituals, or supporting Tutankhamun. She is there as a background figure, who encourages her husband as the pharaoh. The problem is, these are carefully curated images that are presenting a very specific picture of the ruling lady, they don't actually convey anything about Ankes and Amun's personality. So what I'm saying is, we really don't know much about Ankes and Amun as a person, an individual. With that in mind, we can't really say that she was not a cunning political figure. And if we base our characterization solely on the art, then we are obeying a carefully curated and selective image of this person. At the end of the day, the decision to write Ankes and Amun in this way was probably done to introduce more conflict to the story. If the queen was too supportive or too encouraging of Tutankhamun directly, that would rob the script of essential drama, not to mention denying Ankes and Amun herself essential agency. So I can see why they made this decision, and broadly speaking, I'm in favour of it. Again, I think Sibylla Dean plays the role quite well. And if you leave aside any reservations about the historical image of Ankes and Amun, this version of the character is quite interesting to watch. So Tutankhamun and Ankes and Amun deviate from their historical portraits. At the very least, this version is interesting to watch in many respects. Unfortunately, we can't say the same about Ai and Hormheb. I have some real issues with the way I and Horemheb are written, or rather how they are underwritten. I is played by Ben Kingsley, who honestly kind of sleepwalks through the role. For the most part, he stands around, looks somber, and occasionally offers a piece of sage advice. I'm not sure if that was a directorial decision, but the characterization is terribly flat. Certainly too much to really shine in the actor's hands. Granted, does not need to be a villain, he doesn't need to chew the scenery. But this version of the character certainly lacks charisma, or much of a personality. It's sort of the opposite problem to what we saw with Tutankhamun and Anges in Amun. The historical eye has a fair bit of information about his role, at least in politics, and it would have been quite easy to develop a charismatic or dynamic personality for this person. It's possible they were going for a subtle characterization an individual who keeps his cards close to the chest. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that, but unfortunately, the scenes which make it into the final edit do not give I, or Ben Kingsley, much to do. And as a result, they wind up wasting one of their most talented actors. It's a real shame, considering the historical material for I offers a lot of fertile ground to develop an interesting character and considering the actor they have in this role, it seems a missed opportunity. As for Horemheb, he's interesting. Nonso Anosi's performance is quite reliable, I like that actor. But again, the character himself is quite two-dimensional. We meet him as a general or a warrior, and that is pretty much all we learn about him. Anosi does a good job with the material, but some of the script decisions are questionable. For example minor spoilers, we do see Horemheb fomenting a small rebellion against Tutankhamun, and challenging the pharaoh's competence. That's an interesting choice, I suppose. But again, the script just doesn't do much with the character. They give Horemheb the semblance of an arc. He starts out as a rival, potentially a threat to the king, and he slowly develops as the story progresses. So clearly there was an attempt to give this character a bigger role. But this version of Horemheb is strangely flat. No personal life, nothing deeper than general plus warrior. It's quite strange when we find Tutankhamun and Ankes and Amun are characterized much more richly than their monuments. But people like I and Horemheb are just as flat as the images we see in their tombs. It's a curious choice. Again, I wonder if there was more material in the script that got edited down for time, but overall, I and Horemheb do not shine nearly as much as you would expect with these actors. As for the production as a whole, well, it's kind of a mixed bag. The storyline of the series focuses a lot on a war with a foreign empire called the Mitanni. That's based in some history, we know the Mitanni were a major political entity around this period, but their conflicts with Egypt were mostly in the past, and by the time Tutankhamun came to power, the Mitanni were really fading as a political force. Leaving that aside, even the basic plot about the Mitanni is kind of silly. They're very poorly defined, and they seem to be everywhere. In one scene, Tutankhamun even has to fight Mitanni scouts just outside the gates of Thebes, or Waset. So it's strange. At the one hand, they seem to be kind of nomads, or vaguely defined rebels, but then they also seem like a powerful kingdom with fortresses and armies. So the script regarding the Mitanni is all over the place. They have very little character, they're just there for a point of conflict. That's quite disappointing. The political background of Tutankhamun's reign is really complicated and dynamic, and you could have easily got something really solid out of the historical material. The decision to make a kind of vague, amorphous enemy is curious. It may have been a budget thing, or perhaps the script wanted to focus more on Tutankhamun, and he just needed a foreign enemy of some sort. It is strange though, and there are many moments watching this where you feel there's potential, but they're just not following through. As for the design of this production, again, it's solid but mixed. Obviously the show was produced on a budget, but the artists do include genuine motifs from ancient Egyptian art, In some of the palace scenes, we see facades and paintings on the walls. We see lotus flowers and images of hunting, fishing, fowling, warfare. Many of the pictures that decorate the sets are actually taken from Egyptian monuments or objects from the tomb of Tutankhamun. For example, Tutankhamun's bedroom, I think it is, has images that are lifted directly from the small golden shrine of Anges and Amun. So... I have to give credit to the production team, they did some research, and what they produced is pretty good for a TV budget drama. There are a few weird moments, though. The throne room is terribly uninspired, and it has these giant cartouches that supposedly say Tutankhamun, but clearly somebody just googled the ancient Egyptian alphabet and put it together as T-W-T-A-N-K-A-M-W-N, which is kind of funny. The costumes are pretty much what you would expect from a swords and sandals epic on a TV budget. They're fine, but there's nothing particularly exceptional. Everyone flounces around in bright colourful robes, or else they just wear white and kilts. Again, because this is a post-Game of Thrones production, there's a heck of a lot of leather, and all the soldiers are walking around in armour 24-7, which at this point is kind of boring, but you get it. They had a budget, they raided the storehouse for costumes, and they did what they could. It's fine, I guess. Probably my greatest criticism with Tut is actually the premise as a whole. What I mean is that there is very little in this drama that is special or unique to Tutankhamun. Certainly, there's nothing in this script that really evokes the idea of this king as we know him today. Frankly, I don't think this is a Tutankhamun story. If you described the plot in its essentials, you have something quite different from that ruler. Consider, we meet a young man who is inheriting power from an aged but stern pharaoh. He must learn to face the challenges of rule, and to wield his authority. He must deal with the loss or treachery of childhood friends, and he must wage war against a great foreign empire. In the process, he nearly loses his life. Finally, he must deal with plagues scheming politicians, and the overwhelming burden of tradition. If you break it down, that's not a Tutankhamun story. That's a Ramesses story. I think you could swap most of these characters to individuals from the reign of Ramesses II. And if you did, the tale would work equally well. In fact, probably better. Fundamentally, I think the problem with Tut is that it's misnamed. If you changed only the names and kept the basic events... You would have an equally functional story. And considering the historical legacy of a king like Ramesses II, it would probably fit that individual a lot better. So overall, Tut is solid. Your enjoyment is going to depend on what you want from the production. If you want history on film, then no, it's hit or miss at best. I think this is more of a background show. Something to watch while you're doing something else. It is light entertainment with a swords and sandals flavour, and it achieves that reasonably comfortably. It's not the best drama I've ever seen with the ancient Egyptian angle, but it's not the worst. I can give it credit for that. TUT was produced by Spike TV, so depending where you are in the world, it may be accessible on streaming services. Here in New Zealand, I had to buy a DVD online. But if your country has Spike Media in one of its services, TUT may be available there search around, see what you find. And if you can't be bothered, well, you're not missing too much. Hello everyone, Dominic here. I hope you enjoyed this little review. Don't worry, new content is coming very soon. I apologise for the lack of releases over the past few weeks, but the lockdown in New Zealand was surprisingly disruptive to my work life and general mental health. For the first few weeks, I sort of chugged along as usual, doing my writing and editing, but slowly I found my motivation draining away. As the lockdown persisted week after week, I eventually became quite bored, and wound up having to take some personal time just to get back into shape. So if you've been missing the ancient Egyptian content, I do apologise. Rest assured, I am working hard on new material, and it will be releasing very soon. In the meantime, Thank you for your patience and your support. The lockdown is hopefully coming to an end here in New Zealand, and brighter things might be on the horizon. Stay tuned, and I will be back very soon. Hi everyone, this is Scott. If you want to learn about the world's oldest civilizations, find out how they were rediscovered follow the story of Mark Antony and Cleopatra's descendants over ten generations, or take a deep dive into the Iron Age or the Hellenistic era, then check out the Ancient World Podcast. Available on all podcasting platforms, or go to ancientworldpodcast.com. That's the Ancient World Podcast.